there are many successful CEOs that will say, I don't care what skills they have. Give me something that fits my culture and that's willing to learn, and mm-hmm. I'll teach them what they need to know. Welcome to the Select Radio Podcast, brought to you by Select International, a PSI company. I am Amber Tipton. I'm your host. I work on the marketing team here at Select. I have some guests with me here today. I mean, they're guests of the podcast, but not guests to me because I work with them every day. I have Claire McHugh. She's our digital marketing manager. Hey, guys. I also have Stephen Jarrett, PhD. Dr. Jarrett, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. As Amber mentioned, my name's Stephen Jarrett. I'm an avid Indianapolis Colts fan, being a Hoosier at heart. Well, that's very important to cover. That's you know, I think that's more important than any educational background or things like that. <laughs> so now that we got past the important stuff, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll kick it over to Rose. <laughs> and I'm Rose Keith, and I'm a project consultant here at Select. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Well, before we get into the topic, of course, we have to talk about snacks. That's our our main focus every day here in the office. I went crazy today at the store, and everything (laughs) that looked good or unusual, I threw in my basket. We have a buffet here. I'm going to start with uh, the dragon fruit, because I've never had dragon fruit before. What? Have you had it? Yeah. Well, shoot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, not frequently. It's not like I eat one every day, but yeah. Well, you're much more cosmopolitan than I am, I think. (laughs) Uh, Stephen has already declared that he's not touching the dragon fruit. Not touching it. (laughs) Never had it. Never gonna have it. No, I've had dragon fruit. I've had it. I've eaten it. I find it very mealy and not very delicious. Okay, I'd say it's probably not my favorite either. (laughs) (laughs) I've really failed. Well, I'm pretty excited about it. Okay, good. It's all Thank yours, you, Claire. Claire. Thank you. It's, it smells delicious. So Claire and I are going to eat this dragon fruit, um, but we also have, um, for the people that don't eat dragon fruit, I bought like some spinach dip, which is pretty pedestrian compared to the dragon, the exotic dragon fruit, right? I bought some cheese curds, which also fairly pedestrian. I mean, especially if you live in Wisconsin, because, you know. Home of the cheese curd. Fairly available. And then for Stephen, because I know Stephen's not going to eat this spinach dip either, because Stephen has an aversion to white foods. It's I, not white foods. Let's, it's let's set the record it's straight. Anything for in the one mayonnaise second. category. It's, it's white with like a liquid or creamy <laughs> consistency, oh, and yeah. you know your mayonnaise is your ranch, which is basically mayonnaise with a packet of ranch blue sauce cheese, on right, it. Right, right. Blue cheese dressing, which is basically mayonnaise You're with blue out. cheese in it. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those are just. I mean, that cheese curd. It's kind of questionable as it is white and creamy <laughs> but i might be willing to give it a shot do you eat cheese like i do cheese? eat cheese do you eat even brie? melted cheese do you eat brie uh yeah i do eat brie yes we don't understand i don't there's not a lot of logic to it <laughs> no it's no. it's my probably my only phobia because i am willing to admit it is a complete irrational fear right and i mean you're I, you eat at fancy food places, like whatever. What if there's like a swoosh of white sauce on your plate? A swoosh. You don't touch it. <laughs> no, no. I mean, depends. Personal dinner, mm-hmm. that's coming off right away. I'm asking for it not to be on there. <laughs> Client dinner, I'm going to like kind of slyly yeah. try to rub, take it off with the knife. But if yeah. I can't, I'll just suck it up. Yeah. Ew. You know, it happens from time to time. It's a rough life. It's not easy, you no. know. So anyway, for Steven, because I knew he wasn't going to eat that spinach dip, 
and he has now declared he's not going to eat the dragon fruit. I knew that was questionable anyway. Uh, I bought these um, Pringles Loud Fiery Chili Lime Chips. Perfect for podcasts. Perfect. Yeah, because yeah, as we found out during the last podcast the that Rose did with me, yeah. that <laughs> chips are not the best podcast food because we can't eat them. <laughs> and maybe chips not specifically labeled as loud. Yeah, as well. they are loud. They're loud are there chips. Soft chips out there. I don't know. I don't know. Quiet chips. Uh, Claire had suggested maybe you should get like just pita to dip in the dip oh, and yeah. i was like yeah and then i got to the store and i was like i want all the crunchy things <laughs> so that's what i did so uh claire and i are going to partake in this dragon fruit uh rose are you going to partake in the dragon fruit no okay okay you've had it you're I've very it. cosmopolitan <laughs> i don't know that and, that's why I've and steven is gonna eat these pringles all right I'm, okay so admittedly i'm a big fan of spicy but i don't like to mix the spicy and the fruit so you have fiery chili lime. So we're going to see how this oh, goes. Some people really like lime chips, but mm. I don't. So uh, yeah. We'll see. Give it a crunch. <laughs> not bad. It's not bad. Again, I think the lime overtakes the rest of the flavor. So, you know, if you like lime, mm-hmm. you're going to love some Pringles Loud Fiery Chili Lime Chips. <laughs> okay, I'm going to try one. Oh, <laughs> Rose is going in. Okay. I'm going to try it too after I eat this dragon fruit. It could be more fiery. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's at the same time let's eat this dragon fruit. That's a nice it's like kiwi. Dish, though. I was just gonna say the same thing. It's like it's. I don't think it's mealy. It kind of the texture to me is like a kiwi, and it's got like seeds in it. I dig it. It's not bad. Not a glowing endorsement. I almost bought a kiwi today because I <laughs> because a it was right by the dragon fruit, and I have an impulse control problem. And I know that there's at least one person that's in the office who's told me they've never had a kiwi. Oh, wait. That has a really it, weird yeah. aftertaste. It's like kind of yeah. dirt or something. <laughs> it tastes like dirt. It's like the seeds, the seeds are really yeah. bitter. Yeah. I'm out now. <laughs> yeah. I'm totally out now. Um, Back to the dip. Yeah. So the person that hasn't had a kiwi is Joe. I think that shouldn't surprise anybody. Until like a year ago when I gave him a slice of pear, he had never eaten a pear. What? Yeah. Has he had apples? Yeah. Bananas? And, yeah. I will say that the pear that I gave him wasn't that great of a pear. It was like... Pears can be hit or miss. I don't like pears. I like them, but only if they're like super ripe because yeah. otherwise they're... And that like one hard and gross. Yeah. And yeah. That one wasn't great. Or too mushy. Yeah. <clears throat> like you have to wait forever for a pear to ripen. Like yeah. you buy a pear and it's hard as a rock and it's like you stare at it for a week and you're like, please ripen, please ripen, please ripen. And then it just doesn't happen. That's the problem we, that we have with avocados mm-hmm. here. That's oh, gosh, yeah. We, yes. do, we get a very hard avocado. You take it home. You're like, okay, I'm going to let this ripen. And then by the time you go to grab it, then it's overripe. And it's, yeah. it's like, I, I just stopped buying them at one mm-hmm. point. Yeah. I've been doing the brown paper bag mm-hmm. trick yeah. recently, and that helps a little bit. But Well, fruits. What can you do? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's let's get into our topic at hand, which we haven't even talked about at all yet. I didn't even say what it was, but we're going to talk about the skills gap. So um, not about have, chips, not about uh, chips, although we should do fruits. we should do an entire podcast on chips only because it's one of my favorite things in the world. Chips are good. Well, you do. Know, I mean, we could do one on candy, too. You do know yeah. that the Select International has a candy blogger on staff. A blogger? A candy a, blogger? A candy blogger Ew. on staff. It's got to be beeped out. <laughs> 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 Our own 
She's a candy, a candy blogger. Are you serious? How do we not know this? Because I was sworn to secrecy. I'm but she gave up my right wife. Now. She gave up my secret. So she, she sure did. I let her know that it was no longer safe. It's being shared with the masses. Was it the pedicure thing? <laughs> oh. <laughs> it they wasn't. were talking about. <laughs> oh, they were talking about her candy blog over their pedicures. <laughs> Probably the one time. Well, that wasn't what the secret was, but I guess that one's out now too. <laughs> Sometimes you go, you travel for work, and there's nothing to do. What are you supposed to do, Stephen? You're supposed to get a pedicure. They're very relaxing. It, it, I mean, there's no shame in that. It, it was delightful. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'll just say. <laughs> yeah. It was my first one. I had nothing else to do. I had about two hours to kill. And, there you go. And I'll even admit that it was my idea. Hey, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Okay. I just, like, this is the best, like, beginning we've ever had. <laughs> I know. Let's, I love Let's it. keep talking about this stuff. <laughs> right? Let's get back into the skills gap, I guess. <laughs> I guess. If we're not going to talk about chips and pedicures and candy bloggers. Ah, that little trickster. <laughs> if only I knew Wait, before. so what does she blog about? It's about candy. Is it, you like, know, quality, you know. History? Kind of no, it's or? like trying new candies and rating no, them. Fifth Avenue like today right is delicious. Yeah, and you know, rating them on their on does their she have taste like and a texture and a fancy name for herself, like the sassy the, candy lady, the candy contessa, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, uh, I've only we'll, read a couple. We'll, okay, we'll put a link to it in the uh, blog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, what's the skills gap, guys? <laughs> Can we define what it is? Can you tell us what the skills gap is for those guys who out, out there who don't know? Guys yeah. and gals out there who don't know? Yep. Um, so, when I think of the skills gap, I just think of any job out there um, that you know needs a certain type of person with a set of skills, and they're having a hard time finding people to fill that job because there's a lack of people with that certain skill. I think... You know, usually when we use the skills gap, we're talking specifically about manufacturing um, and the fact that, you know, it's harder to find people who have, you know, electrician background, mechanical trades, et cetera, um, now than, than it was in the past. And that's kind of how I would broadly define it. Obviously, we'll be getting into a lot more detail. but Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think when you look at it fundamentally it's this understanding that employers have some expectation of what they want in a role or a position and individuals that are either in that role currently or they're looking for to fill that role don't meet or have the skills that they need um, to successfully bridge that gap and so that gap becomes then the skills gap Um, you know it's talked about a lot in manufacturing it's talked a lot about in uh, skilled manufacturing or skilled Mm -hmm. trades I think you're seeing the conversation push more into even the production, um, the more entry-level roles and things like that. A lot of you, – you read up on the skills gap and a lot of companies talk about things like 45% of small businesses are unable to find qualified applicants. You know, you see a lot of stats about open positions and how long they're open, and, and they're using that as a corollary to the skills gap. Uh, and I think you know, when we talk about – whether or not that's true, I think it's a very interesting kind of concept of if that really defines the skills gap or if that's really a, a problem or a symptom of, of another issue out there. So in my research on this topic, um, now this I found a lot of people writing articles on blogs from a few years ago up until now, and especially in the ones from like maybe two years ago-ish. I don't know if this is still an issue, but I I was reading a lot about um, people not thinking it was an actual thing 
you know, like like it's fake. Yes, like it's <laughs> fake. Like manufacturers are like making this problem up for some reason. I mean, so is there actually a skills gap in this country in today's job market? Well, I I think there is, uh, but I question how generally we're we're labeling this skills gap as we talked about with. You know, if you look at things like the skilled trades, um, technical school enrollment was down for many years. Now it's actually rising back up because kind of jobs are paying more in that field. And you look at this kind of the skilled trades and, you know, new automation and robotics coming in. And we'll talk a lot about that. And I think we are finding that there are gaps in what are the skills that we have in employees today. Uh, but then when we talk about things like production employees or entry level and they say, well, you know, we can't find people to fill our jobs. You know, some of that I, I look at it and I say, well, is that a is that a skills gap? Are there people out there that don't have the skills to do it, or is it an attraction issue? Are you having trouble attracting individuals into those roles? You know, mm-hmm. we talk to clients that are, you know, we have rotating shifts, which means they'll work one night on day or one week on days and one week on nights back and forth, and we pay this much, and it's actually a variable job, so you're not actually an employee of the organization, but we can't find anyone to fill the job. <laughs> are you providing a very you know, enticing attractive, or attractive yeah, right, right. job. Yeah. Um, or are they going to go find something else that, that maybe pays less or but is more in line with their their priorities? Right. Yeah. And that kind of takes us into like, well, what's causing it, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, when you first started talking about that, it's like, well, you know, younger people just don't want to work in a physical job. You know, we've heard the term lazy millennials like a billion times in our lives. We even talked about it on our last podcast. Um, is that the issue? Is it just young people just don't want to work in that kind of setting? Or is it something else? I mean, it, it could be, you know, I'm sure it's it's many things contributing to that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think there are a lot of different things contributing. Um, you know, another thing we haven't mentioned yet is that the baby boomer generation is retiring. Right. So, you know, just, just thinking about, you know, the clients that I work with, over the past couple of years, I feel like a lot of them have been talking about having to replace, you know, 10 people, 20 people a year in highly skilled positions that are retiring after working with the company for 30 years. So, you know, I think that's adding to it a little bit as well. Uh, there's the, what we talked about a couple of weeks ago with <clears throat> being an employer of choice. I think in some, depending on, you know, where you're located, uh, you know, there might be you know, not so many options in terms of getting a job that pays a reasonable hourly wage and, um, you know, having the option to have benefits, you know, there might not be a lot of options out there. So in those cases, you know, in the manufacturing setting, I think the company's lucky, um, but in other situations, people can get paid the same or more and have, not have to work, you know, overnight or on the weekends and are able to work in a temperature controlled environment. So, I mean, I think there are a lot of different factors. I'm sure Stephen will talk about more. Yeah, I mean, what you know, what's driving it? You know, when you look at millennials and what's driving, I mean, it's definitely a multifaceted issue, and and I don't look at it as a millennial issue or a generational issue per se. Um, I speak with a lot of manufacturing individuals, and I've heard, as you just mentioned, thousands of times about how you know these new millennials coming in, they don't want to work, and they don't want to work as hard, and this and that, and you know, part of me looks and every once in a while I get myself in trouble. I look at them and say, well, you know, they're 19. You're 55, right? I mean, do you remember all the 19-year-olds that came in with you? You're one of very few that's still around. So clearly, you know, there's 
they kind of forget what it's like to be at that age, right? Mm -hmm. And you look at 19-year-olds today versus 19-year-olds in the 1970s and 80s. A lot of them were either out of or you know in college and dating someone, maybe getting married at 22, having kids at 24. And so the responsibilities of a 19-year-old are, are much less. And so right. do they need that that yep. consistent pay, HR, or can they yeah. kind of move around and find different what they really want to do? Is they have a little bit more opportunity for that? And then on the, you know, so you have that side where millennials are saying, well, I have lots of responsibility. I don't need that. I, I can save money and I can go do what I kind of want. But then you also on the flip side have organizations that we just talked about. Pensions are almost non-existent at this point. Yeah. You know, jobs versus careers. I mean, these companies are renting these employees. And so they don't, there's no reason for the employees to look back at them and say, well, yeah, I'm going to commit to you for the next 30 years of my life. Right, so, yeah. you know, it's, it's kind of a, you know, Things that and the benefits that many that we had maybe in the 70s and 80s have kind of gone by the wayside. Well, and that was kind of the light at the end of the tunnel, too, you know, and it's not that anymore. Yeah. You know, if I'm talking about somebody from my parents' generation, like my dad worked for, you know, the state, the state for, you know, it's like put that in air quotes. He worked for the state because <laughs> that's what people say he did for 30 years because once you got in, you just didn't get out because mm -hmm. like the pension was there and it's like you just went to work hoping for the day you could retire mm -hmm. and it's not the same really anymore because people don't have that same benefit so you know you see less people getting into those roles but i mean when you talk about the skills gap and what's driving that skills gap i mean i think you are seeing that manufacturing has a bit of a perception issue right now right after the 2008 when they there's a lot of outsourcing moving to other countries and laying off a lot Layoffs. of employees in the U.S., the stability that was always there with manufacturing, well, it's a stable job, stable paycheck. Well, that that was gone. And so they had to they had to deal with that, and, and they have to get that positive perception back. And unfortunately, that means going all the way into the high schools or even right. grade schools to start over because right now a lot of people have formed their opinion there. And, you know, the how quickly technology is moving – it makes that skills gap even more exacerbated because you have new robotics coming in and the next year there's a new robot there's a new you know a new set of technology a new HMI. I just can't get over like this robot thing and i know <laughs> it's real i, I mean, know you, you walk I need into to these see plants. the robots i know i mean you walk into these plants you might and see like is... one or two people and like the rest are it's all robots and that, that's probably driving you know the perception too if you're you know in high school or college and you're hearing about automation and your robots are going to replace people why would you want to get into you know an industry where you might be replaced by a robot in five or right. ten years a robot a ro a is that what robot. I said? No, you didn't. No, but every time somebody says robot, you think all I can think like because I watch the Goldbergs and the dad is like oh, so funny. Yeah. He's like a robot. <laughs> yeah, it, it's real though. I mean, you walk into these plants now, and if they have robots out there, or they're saying that's where the next group's gonna go, and this mm -hmm. and that, and it, it, I don't know that it has the same effect. You, again, it comes back down to you have these skilled trades guys or or, or girls and. They don't have. They don't even have the skills to work on these this new right. stuff coming in. So that gap, even internally, it's it's not just that. Oh wait, we don't have any electricians. Like you can bring in an electrician, and then they're looking at a robot with HMIs and PLCs and coding and all of these things. I don't know what any of that means, Stephen. And, 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 <laughs> and nor do a lot of the guys and and individuals that were in the, in the maintenance groups out there. They have to either learn it, or a lot of them just say, "I'm not learning that." I'll yeah. just go work on the old machines until I can get my, <laughs> my until I can win pension and walk out of here. Yeah. Out of here.
Do you think a lot of it has to do with, uh, I mean, we talk a lot about the tight labor market here. Mm -hmm. Do you think it has to do with that too? I think it exacerbates the issue Mm -hmm. because if you're already dealing with such a limited applicant pool, any job that doesn't seem attractive for whatever reason is going to have a harder time getting people to apply for for that job. It's all, you know, again, it's related. It compounds on itself, (laughs) right? Yeah. You have these, again, you, it's a candidate market. And so if you don't have an attractive job right. or if you can't attract candidates, then they're not going to come. And then you're going to be left with what's left. And are they the most skilled or qualified mm-hmm. or best at problem solving or, mm-hmm. and work ethic, all that? Maybe not. Mm-hmm. But if that's what you have access to because you maybe don't have the most attractive roles, you are going to feel the pain of that for sure. I think a lot of times too, like uh, we talk about this a lot, you know, younger people are really pushed into going to higher education. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, by the time they realize that that was not the right choice, they're in debt. It's too late, they feel like, because they have, you know, $20,000 or whatever it is. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't even, I'm old. I don't know how much college costs now. <laughs> it like, costs a lot. I think it's a lot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know like when I was, I don't even know what it costs when I was in school because I just kept taking out the loans that I'm still paying off even though I'm old, but they're already so far in debt and they just feel like, I don't know if they feel like they need to finish what they started or if they mm-hmm. drop out, like what are they going to do? I think, you know, once you, then you look at perhaps a trade school, well, that costs money too. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that contributes as well. We hear that a lot. And so as I was pre- preparing for this, I was like, I really want to learn more about this whole college degree thing and, and try to put some. <laughs> what I'm, is this whole college well, degree thing? <laughs> yeah, who needs one, you know? But uh, try to understand a little bit more about the, the statistics around it as someone who likes to look at that. I, I found a, an article that, that cited that, Psychology, which is very near and dear to this company's heart, um, history and performing arts represent 22% of the degrees of, of graduating seniors. And jumping on that, and I don't know if you're going to talk about this, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were saying, if you graduate from college, just undergrad, with a degree in psychology, you're going to have the lowest paying job out there. Is that what you're going to say? No. No. No, but that's absolutely true. Yeah. Even when I was in college, I knew that. Like, I I don't have a psychology degree. I have a communications degree, which is probably worse. It's probably number two or number (laughs) three. (laughs) For sure. Um, But, you know, I had, you know, friends that had psychology degrees, and they weren't planning on going any further in school. And I was like, uh, you kind of need to. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I would sit there in, in graduate school and people would say, oh, I'm a psych major. Like, well, are you going to go on to graduate school? They're like, no. And I was like, well, then change majors. Yeah. <laughs> there's no yeah. point in being there's in nothing the- here There really you. is. I mean, there really isn't. You know, I mean, yeah. there are certainly jobs out there, but it's just You not can't really do much of, with yeah, it. Yeah, you can't do much with it. Yeah. And you really need a, a higher um, degree than that, like a master's degree or a PhD. Yeah, but I mean, just looking at it, you got one in four of your graduating seniors coming out with quote-unquote useless degree yeah quote-unquote useless and i hate i hate using that term yeah but it's you know in terms of you know finding a a solid job right that is a well-paying job we're not saying that the content is yeah so even if you make it all through you're still kind of behind the eight ball Mm -hmm. and i mean everyone obviously stem is the the hottest topic and it makes sense right because that's where these jobs are going well as we talk about the robots and the the manufacturing (laughs) like that's all like stem stuff just to kind of close that gap on the flip side on the podcast that I was listening to, they were saying that if you get an undergrad degree in chemical engineering, then you have the highest paying salary without mm-hmm. even going on to school. But um, 
you know, if someone doesn't want to do that, doesn't want to go to college, mm-hmm. you know, what other options are there? And there are other good options that I, I feel like are getting advertised a little bit better lately. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm seeing more messaging out there about, you know, the fact that you don't have to go to a four-year college. You have other options. You can go to a, a tech school or a vocational school and have your, you know, program paid for by a company that you're working with. And I'm sure, you know, that's something we've talked about it before on on a webinar but you know there are other options out there and it's it's nice when you do see you know stuff out there about about the other options yeah and i think i mean colleges are are realizing it too because they're looking at placement they now these stats are out there about you know average salary for an alumni and things so they want to bump those numbers up for their own rankings and things like that a lot i've heard of several schools that when you choose a major you actually have to sit down and listen to a course on what jobs will be out mm-hmm. there for you, how much they pay, what are the options, and it's like give them a realistic. Well, that's amazing job though, preview. because right? yeah. when I was 18, 17, really, when I was deciding what I was gonna do, I was like, I'm gonna be a journalism major, and then I was like, well, I'm gonna be a communications major. I like changed my mind immediately, <laughs> and then my mom was like, well, you know, you probably should think about that, and I was like. Forget about it, lady. I know what I'm talking about. I'll be fine. And then, you know, you kind of get out there in the real world. And I wish, not that I shouldn't have listened to her, because I should have. But perhaps if I had um, had had that kind of guidance, like at the university orientation level, I could have um, had a, not that I, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do. Nobody you know? listens yeah. to their parents at that age. No. No, you know. I'm like, whatever, I'm going to be a radio star. <laughs> and look no, at you. you're not. <laughs> <laughs> yep, look at me. Seven followers on this podcast. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> one of them is my mom, I think. <laughs> and I know for sure one's Becca, <laughs> who works here. It's fine, guys. We're building a following. That's slowly. right. <laughs> this is only our fifth episode. It'll all work out. Don't mm-hmm. worry about it. So we talked a lot about manufacturing, and that's kind of, I think, what a lot of people think of, at least I do, when they think about, like, this skills gap concept. But is it affecting other industries as well? Do you, I mean, I just don't know. You guys are out there fighting the good fight out in the uh, client world. Yeah, it, it's, it's not just a, a manufacturing issue. I mean, that's something that I work a lot in that industry, so I, I focus in that area, but... If you look at fields like nursing, mm-hmm. nursing is a, nursing. a huge one. I mean, here in Pittsburgh, there are uh, hospitals that are offering ten thousand dollars sign-on bonuses to twenty-two-year-old, wow. you know, nurses coming straight out of school. You know, that type of, you know, that's how it's a war for talent at that point. I mean, they it's a skills gap slash war for talent, and so they are again trying to find ways to attract the talent to them. Right. Um, another industry that's just just growing so fast it's almost unsustainable is the is developers you know you look at companies like amazon the googles and the ibms i mean they're literally thinking how do we get to these people when they're six seven eight years old so that we can train them up and have them ready to go and start working for us at 18 (laughs) what the heck it's like it's like um chinese gymnastic team for the olympics (laughs) yeah But they, they, it's such a pervasive issue for them that they're – that's the number one problem their HR staffs are trying – or their talent staffs are trying to solve is how do we get more of them? And IBM's got – you can access a bunch of free programming uh, equipment and, and uh, programs and, and tutorials on IBM's thing just to be able to 
hopefully ha- grow that talent there. base, uh-huh. you know, and wow. they don't care if you get a job at IBM or not. It's oh. free. It's open source. It's Taking just... a note for my four-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Check that out. <laughs> Start them young, Rose. Start them young. That's right. We got that coding caterpillar, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got that for my niece, yeah. <laughs> nice. But it is. I mean, th- those are two fields, again, that are, are feeling the importance of having to attract top talent and how much it costs to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's a very expensive proposition and you know they, they but they can't clone people as our, right. as our salespeople like to say do they like to say that <laughs> <laughs> so i mean um, other than you know ibm out there like giving free courses to everybody uh, what else can employers do to to seek out the employees that they need to fill those gaps so I think it's interesting that both of you are from the marketing department because I think it's really like a messaging and marketing issue. Totally about branding. It's all about branding. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think we had a guest in here a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about the fact that when he was a kid, he remembers going to like the local you know plant or factory in his town and they would give tours to kids and you know, everyone knew people who worked there and they would have picnics and stuff. So it was just sort of like an attractive place to work. Uh, so you know, companies could think about doing things like, I mean, opening up a, you know, plant to a tour of, you know, six-year-olds is probably not uh, <laughs> the best safety <laughs> thing to do. Not, not great. But but just, you know, like Stephen was saying, getting, you know, in the face of, you know, kids and trying to turn that messaging around and, and make the, the jobs seem attractive. Whether it's manufacturing or programming or nursing. What I've seen, and again, I'll go back to the manufacturing. What I've seen a lot, which I think is the most important first step, is companies are coming to us as as testing or uh, experts in these roles and saying, how do we assess our talent that we have right now Mm -hmm. so that we can know exactly where our gaps are? Yeah. that's the big law. Like everyone, the skills gap, the skills gap. We don't have, the, we don't have the skills. There's a gap. It's like, could you define that a little bit more? Yeah. What gap? What, and what skills is the problem are you missing? Like in your particular, yeah, in your particular in this situation. area, in mm-hmm. this department, in this, because if you don't ever figure out what your actual skills that you're lacking are, mm-hmm. how do you then make sure that you're selecting for them? And the, when you're bringing people into the organizations, so we're seeing mm-hmm. a lot of that, which I think is really good, right? Because before you can attack the the you know the cause you have to or I mean you have to understand what it what the problem is before you can really put any solutions out there right um, and then also you know once you figure all that out training the people you have I would assume is something that companies should also be thinking about I worked with a client about a year and a half ago now and they were putting together an apprentice program with the state of New York and so they were. Going about it, I think, in a really smart way, they were partnering with with other outside organizations and outside you know colleges or technical schools um, and putting together a really robust pro- training program for their high potential people. So people who you know wanted to move into those roles in the next two to three years, uh, you know, had the opportunity to apply for you know one of five spots. So it was pretty selective too. Um, but they would get you know their school completely paid for. They would be paid to, to train on the job, um, and then they would move into to those roles in three years. So I think you know, more companies are realizing they need to, you know, if they don't have apprentice programs, they need to create them. Um, and if they do have them, they need to take a look at them and you know, figure out whether they're sufficient or whether they should be beefed up at all. Right. Yeah, that corporate institutional partnership is going to become 
absolutely critical because there's got to be some sort of pipeline that gets in there. You look at organizations that are in rural areas that are fighting for talent. I mean, to the point that counties are offering $5,000 or house credits or things like that for just workers to Mm -hmm. come there and take these jobs so that they don't lose the organizations. You know, you have schools like Purdue and other areas that are just really based in those rural areas that are partnering with large auto manufacturers or um, different manufacturing and different types of industries to make sure that the people that they're sending out are, are able to step into roles and succeed. Um, and those types of partnerships with the states, with the schools, with high schools, we've seen you know apprenticeship programs coming out of high schools, they're only going to grow and they're going to be really important to making sure that the skills are learned because once you get past, you know, college and high school and all of that, it having to teach those skills in the organization becomes really difficult when they're doing a job as well. And then once you train these people, you know, keep them, let's retain them. And then retrain them too. Right. As even mentioned. I mean, like, technology's will... moving so fast. Exactly. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what these companies do. They're saying, okay, where are our gaps? And then how do we build training programs to, to level that up? And mm-hmm. you have to consistently do that. Because I always talk to companies about apprenticeship programs, and their biggest fear is, well, we're going to train them, and then they're going to go across the street and make four more dollars an hour. Right. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> you know, but I mean, you have, uh, maybe you should pay four more dollars an hour. Right. Yeah, you know, I, you, the war on talent is real. <laughs> right. I mean, you have to, you have to make sure. Not that war on talent, war for talent. Well, yeah. War for <laughs> talent. That's true. Yeah. Those, those talented people, we're going to get them. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I mean, I think retaining employees and making sure, and again, it's a very difficult market to do that in because there's a tons of jobs out there it's a candidate driven market people can go and find a new job and so how do you make your roles attractive how do you have programs that kind of incentivize you to stick around you know that's the those are the things that that individuals and organizations are focused on right now you know this is like our i think our fifth episode and all these things are so connected that we've been talking about and i think it all is around the tight labor market which i'm sure we will get into at some point along the way here Um, and talk about that in more detail, but all of these things are connected. You know, how to be an employer of choice, how to attract millennials, how to, what else did we talk about? Like interviewing for motivational fit, we just did one about that Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, you want to get the right people in the positions, not necessarily just the right skills and the right experience, but also Mm -hmm. people that, you know, want to work there and will fit in and that will stay. There are many successful CEOs that will say, I don't care what skills they have. Give me something that fits my culture and that's willing to learn and Mm -hmm. I'll teach them what they need to know. Right. You know, as long as they're trainable. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about before we wrap it up and talk about some more fun stuff. As I was researching and, and taking a look at different articles and things, I found what I thought was a really interesting point when, you know, everything's kind of be boiled down to economics, right? And as you look at the supply of, of workers out there being very low and the demand for workers being very high, the expectation would be that the cost of wages would be skyrocketing. To attract that talent, you, gotta, you have to pay them more and do all of those things. But over the last 10 years, even through the recession, we're really not seeing any increases. It's been a nominal wage increase of about 2% per year. And so you look at it and you say, these organizations say, we can't get the talent. We're doing, you know, something must have changed. And it's like, yeah, the entire landscape of the of the hiring market has changed. How did you change to accommodate for To that? react to that, yeah. And then they say, well, 
you know, we've been doing the same thing for 10 years. That's the problem, right? You know, in 2008, when the unemployment lines were full, yeah, if you were hiring, you could, could, you could pick one out of every hundred and, and, and yeah. you know, all of that. But so it's, it's really about understanding there's always a changing landscape. And if your systems, HR or operations aren't changing with it, then you're very likely to be left behind. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we're good to go, guys. This is always such an interesting topic and really relevant in today's labor market. Maybe instead of just being college pushers on younger people, college pushers, college pushers, <laughs> you know, because you, know, you don't necessarily need to do that. Like, yeah, you know, for everyone. have people explore their options and and really seek out maybe some other types of career opportunities. Not to to be down on no, a four-year degree, no, but I no, think no. It's, it's about understanding that there are other options out there and Correct. finding something that's going to work well for you, right. not mm-hmm. defaulting to, right. I'm going to go to a four-year or, right. or so Because that's what's college. expected. It's yeah. like, you know, weigh all your options. I'm not saying college is bad. Obviously, it's not. I went. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Best time of your life. Best time of my life. <laughs> But, you know, it is it is important to weigh your options and, and see what's right for you. Now that we've gone through all that serious stuff, what we do like to do here, aside from eat snacks, is talk about our fun travel stories. I don't, does anybody have anything they want to share? This is probably my favorite <laughs> travel story, but I don't – we'll see if I can tell it quickly. Uh, I was traveling – from time to time, I travel with clients, just – you know, good wheel, windshield time with them. And I was <laughs> driving uh, in an ice storm in Arkansas with a client who was from Florida. Mm. Uh, and he was driving. Oh. And he he lived in Ohio for one year. So he knew that when you're coming, if it's icy and you're coming up on a bridge, that you shouldn't brake or accelerate. Just kind of coast through that. Thing. Bridge may be icier than road surface. That's right. Yeah, that's what they say. <laughs> now, what he didn't learn and that he would do is to make sure that he was going the proper speed, he would slam on uh. the brakes right before the bridge <laughs> so that he could coast through to the bridge. And and we would come up on every bridge and he would slam on the brakes and I would be very scared. So at one point we were making a phone call. I was calling a hotel about 30 miles up the road so that we could you know get a hotel room for the night. And as we're coming up on this bridge, there's a car off the side of the road and he slams on the brakes. We go sideways. I start screaming <laughs> cuss words into the phone. <laughs> now, lo and behold, this was also the time that he was telling me the rates of the hotel room. So the guy on the phone that I was talking to <laughs> after I was done said, I'm very sorry, sir. That's the best I can do. That's the best price that I have. And I was like, that wasn't you. I thought I was going to die. I swear, no problem. You know, nothing ever happened. We, we you know, worked we made it to the hotel that night, but I did scare that guy quite bad from Marriott. Well, I'm glad you survived. <laughs> yeah, so my travel story actually happened with Stephen. We were coming back from a conference about a year ago, and we were both seated in the same row. We were just about to take off, and then like, we were literally like we had lifted off, and then we went back down very quickly and slowed down and kind of did a, a turnaround to get back in line to take off. And so the the captain came on, and he was like, "Oh, you you might have noticed that we uh, just tried to take you know take off, and we couldn't do that. So 
we're getting back in line again. And the reason we did that is because one of our engines doesn't appear to be working. Oh, so we're, we're just going to try it again. Steve and I looked at each other like, we're just going to try it again. Okay. <laughs> Can we get off? That and, get <laughs> and then we started to accelerate again. And the captain came on and said, yeah, it's not going to work. So we're going to go ahead and park and uh, we'll be trying to, like to get po- you off like, on a different flight. Like one engine wasn't working. So we're just going to try We're just going to try to no. wing it. Like literally no, wing it. No. <laughs> no, thanks. I'm going to get off there this There are two plane. for a reason. I mean, one's a backup, I guess. But Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So Stephen and I a- could have died together, but we didn't. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're still here again. Okay. I think we're pretty much ready to wrap it up here. I just want to make sure that everybody knows that we have an awesome set of blogs out there. And you can check those out at www.selectinternational.com. We have Select Perspectives, which is our general select blog. Safety Perspectives, which is all of our safety content. And our healthcare perspective blogs there. If you want to email us and tell us how great we are. (laughs) or ask us questions whatever we love both Um, yeah both are good Uh, you can email us at podcast.selectintl.com and um, we'll get back to you there or if you have questions we can actually just answer them on the podcast either way Um, and then just ways to listen we've expanded our horizons you can either go to our website which is again selectinternational.com and go to the podcast page under the resources link or you can listen to and subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast Addict. We're big time now. So we're pretty excited to have all of those um, apps available for us to broadcast to you. Um, search Select Radio and you should find us. And if you're feeling good about what you've heard, throw us a rating. Hopefully a good one. Thanks a lot. I think that's it. So bye. Bye. Thanks, Amber. Bye. And Claire. And Steven. Oh, yeah. And Steven. <laughs>